Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the pastoral team here at Dayspring. It means a lot to us that you've decided to make this service a part of your spiritual rhythm today. Whether you're live in the room with us, watching online, or at some point in the future. If you are just visiting, this is the kind of place that anyone can call home. If you are curious about church, this is a safe place to check out the claims of Jesus. It's a great place to have doubts and questions about spirituality. If you followed Christ your whole life, this is the kind of place that cares about your spiritual journey. We are committed to helping you grow. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your church home, or if you just have questions, please let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find study questions in the resources section of our website. And now, let's join our service. We've been on quite a journey this past fall as we've uh, looked uh, at the process of getting through what you're going through. Uh, Because you've had the courage to let me know, I know that many of you have done the hard work of processing some of the layers of grief and loss that you've experienced, not only during the past year and a half of COVID, but throughout your lifetime. Some of you have been processing grief and pain and loss as far back as 60 years ago. That takes courage. And I've been praying that God would meet you as you dealt with some really hard stuff. Uh, By now, you know that we got the framework for this series from Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church in Southern California. We've looked at what he says a few times on this journey, but let me just remind us all. He says, there is no life without change. And there is no change without loss. There is no loss without pain, and there is no pain without grief. Now think about that. There is no change without loss. There is no loss without pain. There is no pain without grief. There is no change without loss. But don't we want to change? As Christ followers, uh, and and I don't know whether you are one or not, this is a great place to be if you're checking out the claims of Jesus, or maybe skeptical of the claims of Jesus. Hard stuff happens in all of our lives, whether we follow Christ or not, and the past year and a half have compressed a decade's worth of loss into a relatively short season for all of us on top of the normal losses that we experience in life. Regardless of what you might believe spiritually, we all know what loss looks like firsthand. Some of us have lost jobs. Some of us have lost marriages. Some of us have lost financial security, relationships, loved ones, freedom, hopes, dreams. Some of us have lost our identity, our innocence, our self-worth. There is There's no end to the list of losses. Everyone knows loss. 
everyone, regardless of what you believe about God or Jesus, everyone goes through something hard at some point in their life, probably at many points in our lives. And every time we face loss, we have a choice to make. Am I going to process this loss, grieve this loss, the way God intended, or am I going to stuff it? File it away, ignore it, act out on it, deal with it later. (laughs) Either way, we end up changed, for better or worse. When we don't grieve our losses the way God intended, our body keeps score. More than half of our physical illnesses find their root in unprocessed grief. A host of bad behaviors from anger to addictions to fears and insecurities find their root in unprocessed pain. Nothing good happens when we get stuck in our pain. And make no mistake about it, when we don't process the pain God's way, we get stuck. And stuckness does damage. Uh, Years ago now, our son Josh was bullied at school. And we didn't really know the depths of it at the time. It took a few years for it to bubble to the surface in his life. When we did find out, we were talking about it with an expert on kids' emotional health. And he told us that every time a kid gets bullied, every time, every time they are bullied, they enter into a new, into the five stages of grief. Now, as a side note, we've been talking about the six stages of getting through what, you've, what you're going through. You can Google the five stages of grief on your own, and if you do, you'll see the similarities between, uh, between the five stages that come out of psychology and the six stages that come out of God's Word. The five stages of grief were identified by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross around 50 years ago. Interestingly, one of her co-authors, David Kessler, published a book in 2019 about the sixth stage of finding grief, a sixth stage of grief, finding meaning, which aligns with our sixth stage of getting through what you're going through. So every time a kid is bullied, they enter the five, now six stages of grief, and they usually get stuck in the anger phase. And the longer they are stuck in the anger phase, the more damage it does internally. And by the way, anger can manifest itself internally or externally in a lot of different ways. That's what happened to Josh. There was an internal anger that we couldn't see. We couldn't explain or understand what was going on in him at the time. But it didn't look like anger. He was stuck. And his stuckness did damage to his body, mind, and spirit. So not processing the way God intended changes us just as much as the emotionally, physically, and spiritually healthy way God intended changes us. One for better, one for worse. Either way, we are changed. Change is inescapable. Now, all that is true no matter what you believe about God or Jesus. But for those of us who are Christ followers, we already know that we've signed up for a life of change. We'll never become like Jesus if we don't change. We have a lifetime of letting go of our self-focused lives as we reach for the glory of becoming like Jesus. We know that we have to let go in order to reach for. We can't hold on to both at the same time. 
And honestly, I think most of the time we're pretty bad at the letting go part. We want what we see as the best of both worlds. That's totally a lie from Satan, and we know it, but that doesn't stop us from trying. We want to control the journey. We are all pain-averse. We avoid pain whenever we can, even though we know that's how we die to ourselves so that we can become like Jesus. Which means that we end up wrestling God for control. We struggle, we kick and scream and doubt and complain. But when we do it the right way, when we grieve our losses the way God intended, God redeems all of it. Nothing is wasted. He uses it all to make something beautiful in our lives which means our pain has purpose. When we cooperate with God on the journey, he uses our pain to accomplish his purposes in our lives, through our lives. We just have to cooperate. Too many people don't. Too many people waste their pain. They waste their suffering. They don't learn from their losses. So as we close out this series, we're going to take a look at how we gain from pain. How God wants to use whatever you're going through, emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, relationally, in any area of your life, how God can redeem the pain in your life as he helps you fulfill the purpose of your life. He doesn't want you to waste it. In fact, I've learned this the hard way. God never graduates you to the next level until you've passed the one you're on. And the longer you stay stuck on a level, the harder the lesson gets. So let's not waste it. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 3, verse 4. Now in context, he was contrasting for the churches in Galatia the freedom of grace found through Christ with their stuckness in the old law. He writes, have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? So in our context, we've already experienced so much blessing from Christ through our pain and loss. Was it for nothing? Have you grown through your pain or have you wasted your pain? Are you further down the road on your spiritual journey, or have you just had pain in your life and it never made any difference? From my perspective, if you're going to have pain, you might as well squeeze everything of value out of it. And here's how we do just that. First, I can use pain to draw closer to God. I can use my pain to draw closer to God. We don't have to do that, and many people don't. But when something hard happens in your life, you have two choices. You can either run to or run away from God. Most of us actually instinctively turn to God in a crisis. We see this in our culture whenever something massive, uh, some massive catastrophe hits. Think back to 9-11. If you are old enough, at terror attacks, floods, fires, the Barna Group, which is known for surveying and dissecting our attitudes and actions across a wide spectrum of life, says that a surprisingly high number of people 
who identify as agnostics and atheists and unbelievers pray more during high pain seasons. This instinctive turning toward God is hardwired into us. But yes, some people turn away from God as well. I followed Christ since I was seven years old. And by the time I reached high school, I had already built the habit of turning toward God, looking to Him for refuge when life got challenging. And high school was hard emotionally for me. But I found my refuge with God at my piano. And it changed me as I built a habit. And then in college, my summer job was washing dishes at a Christian camp. Six days a week, 18 hours a day, hot, scalding water, no air conditioning. I was miserable. And I was sitting in church one Sunday morning complaining in my spirit. I wasn't thinking one bit about the sermon. I was just complaining to God and thumbing through the Psalms, looking for an easy answer to my problems. And some words caught my eye. And I went back to camp and found a piano and I wrote a song that I sang while I washed dishes all summer. And it forever changed me. We've already talked about this over the past weeks as we've learned what it means to lament. That's how you draw closer to God. You tell Him how you feel. You cry out to Him. You argue with Him. You yell at Him. You trust Him. In shock, you express your sorrow. You're shocked to God. In sorrow, you cry out in sorrow to God. In struggle, you argue with God. In surrender, you let go and you trust God. You take all of these steps and you can worship at every stage of getting through whatever it is you're going through. This is what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 when he wrote, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed by our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Whatever was happening in his life at that time was soul-crushing, overwhelming. He and his companions were in over their heads, sinking fast, ready to give up, discouraged. But it was good because they drew closer to God in the process. How many of us have experienced the same kinds of things? We came to Christ out of pain. Uh, maybe the pain of a divorce or a disaster, difficulty or disappointment. God will use this, whatever this is in your life, if you draw closer to God in the process. Many of us could say that pain turned us to Christ. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 says, Now I am glad I sent it. Now he's talking about a previous, now lost to us, letter to the church in Corinth. But this principle is true for our, our hurts as well. I'm glad I, sent, I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. 
That's the kind of sorrow God wants us to have, the kind that causes us to run to him. That's the first way, to never waste your pain. Use your pain to draw closer to God. And the second way, I can use pain to draw closer to others. Use your pain not only to draw closer to God, but to others as well. This is the purpose of fellowship. When we cooperate with God in the grieving process, when we allow him to do his best work in us, our pain will deepen our love for other people. It will mature your love. Suffering sensitizes you. Suffering deepens you. Suffering transforms you. Even the most stubborn, self-centered, selfish person can turn into a real lover of others after a major tragedy in their life. You might remember that a few weeks ago I talked about the four levels of fellowship, each one deeper than the one before. The shallowest level of fellowship is the fellowship of sharing. How's your day? How are you doing? What's going on in your life? That's the fellowship of sharing. There's nothing wrong with this level. It's just the shallowest level, the beginning. You have to start somewhere. A little deeper is the fellowship of studying. When you study the Word of God together, something happens. The Holy Spirit binds hearts and minds together. Deeper even than the fellowship of studying is the fellowship of serving. Serving brings people closer together. The shared experience of serving takes you even deeper. But the deepest level of fellowship is the fellowship of suffering. The only way you get to the fellowship of suffering is through vulnerability. You have to let someone else see your pain. Galatians 6.2 says, Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Now remember that the law of Christ is loving your neighbor as yourself. When you help other people through your pain, through your suffering, through your trials and tribulations, you are obeying the greatest commandment of all. We love God when we love others. But we have to be willing to let others see our pain and weakness for that to happen. I think that's why the enemy of our souls works so hard to isolate us in our pain. He knows the good things that happen when we love, and that's only bad news for him. If you allow it to, pain will teach you how to really love. As we learned in our study of 1 John, pain teaches us to agape love, the deepest kind of love there is. The third way to never waste your pain is to use pain to become more like Jesus. I can use it to draw closer to God, I can use it to draw closer with others, and I can use it to become like Jesus. In other words, pain always gives the opportunity to grow in character, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These nine qualities are really only theoretical in your life until they've been proven out through your suffering, your pain, your hardship, through tough times. In fact, without hard times, it is easy to mask the cracks in your character and seem more spiritually mature than you really are. Challenging seasons put pressure on your life and reveal the cracks, which means you don't really learn to love until you are in unlovable situations. You don't find true joy until you experience grief. You, you learn peace in chaos. You learn patience having to wait. 
You learn all of these very Jesus-like characteristics in situations that are the exact opposite of those characteristics. You get to choose whether or not your pain makes you more like Jesus. Or not. Your choice. Some people let pain make them bitter. Some people let pain make them better. Some people let pain be a stepping stone to progress. Others let pain be a stumbling block into failure. Only you can choose. God's number one purpose in your life is to make you like Jesus. And if God's going to make you like Jesus, loving like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, being kind like Jesus, being truthful like Jesus, having the character and integrity and generosity and humility of Jesus— He's going to take you through the same kinds of things that Jesus went through. Jesus was lonely. You'll be lonely. Jesus was misunderstood. You'll be misunderstood. Jesus was criticized and judged. You'll be criticized and judged. Jesus had times when he was so tired he felt like he couldn't go on another day. And so will you. Jesus was tempted. Guess what? You're in for that too. Big surprise there. The unknown author of Hebrews says that even though Jesus was God's son, even though he was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Even Jesus' suffering had a purpose in Jesus if that's the path God led him on, then wouldn't ours be the same? That's how he makes us more like Jesus. And just one verse later in Hebrews, it says, in this way, that's through suffering, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. The word perfect in this verse means complete. Jesus was made complete through his suffering. In fact, there are some things, the only way you learn them is through pain. Have you ever thought about that? Some things you only learn through pain. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Here we see Paul complimenting the way the Corinthian Christians handled the pain in their lives. He writes, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to, to clear yourselves, such indignation, such an alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal and such readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. Now, isn't it just wonderful how your suffering has drawn you closer to God? One paraphrase says you're more alive more concerned, more sensitive, more reverent, more human, more passionate, more responsible. Looked at from any angle, you've come out of this with purity of heart. The Corinthian Christians had been through the ringer. Persecution, suffering, pain, and because of all of it, all of that bad junk, they were more alive, more concerned, more sensitive, more relevant, more human, more passionate, and more responsible. Seven very Jesus-like qualities. Like, wouldn't you like to have those qualities in your life? 
That's what happens when you choose to cooperate with God. Pain transforms us. It won't leave you where it picked you up. It will take you to another place. It makes us more like Jesus. The fourth way to never waste your pain is to use pain to help others. This is redemptive suffering. Using your pain for service, for the benefit of others, is the highest and best use of your pain. Now think about it. You are going to have pain because we live in a broken world and everybody has pain. Nobody gets off scot-free. We all have pain. So if you're going to have pain, why not at least get credit for it? You don't get credit for grumbling and complaining about it. You don't get credit for living a self-centered life, ignoring other people. You don't get credit for feeling sorry for yourself and having a pity party. You get credit for your pain by using it to help other people who are in the same kind of pain. That's the highest and best use of your pain, and it comes with rich rewards. So rather than focusing on my hurt, my feelings, and how bad I feel, refocus it on the pain of others. Use it to help others. Uh, We started the series with these verses, so it's fitting that we should come full circle and end with them as well. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 to 6, He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. Now this isn't rocket science. Who better to encourage a single mom than another single mom? Who better to help someone in financial stress than someone who's been there and worked a way out? Who better to comfort a loss, the loss of a spouse than someone who's lost a spouse? Who better to encourage someone whose marriage is in a rocky spot than someone whose marriage has almost failed? Who better to help a victim of abuse than a victor from abuse? You get it. This is common sense. You understand, and they know you do, because you've walked the path already. There is so much power in shared pain. You could be hope for someone who is hopeless, all because you've already walked the valley and come out on the other side more like Jesus. Don't waste your hurt. Don't hide your hurt. Let God recycle and reuse it to bless other people. You have a story of God's work in your life that someone else needs to hear. Use your pain to help others. And then last, the fifth way to never waste your pain, use pain to witness to the world. Use your pain to witness to the world. Now, before you get all uptight, thinking that you don't do evangelism, Hopefully it's clear by now that everyone, regardless of what they believe about God, experiences everyone. Everyone experiences pain, loss, challenge, trouble, hard times, and whatever else you want to call it. Too many of us for too long have incorrectly thought that the way we share Jesus is from a position of strength. Once I have all the answers and know all the verses, then I'll be ready to talk about Jesus. 
once I have my act together. That's not what people are looking for. They have zero interest in knowing if Jesus works when your life is all tied together with a pretty little bow. They want to know how to make it through hard times, through adversity. The world says that success gives us credibility. But remember that God's ways are not our ways. They are much higher than our ways. And if the world says to go right, you should almost always go left. It isn't success that gives us credibility. It's suffering. Fame doesn't earn respect. Faithfulness in tough times does. Your weakness will actually be heard far louder than your strength. That's how it works when God is involved in the process. People resonate with authentic pain. People resonate with people who understand authentic pain. Pain builds bridges. Pain humanizes. It gives you credibility. People are searching for a way through the darkness. You've been in the darkness. You know what that's like. So shine light. Once again, the Apostle Paul was a pain pro. He was an expert on capitalizing on his pain. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, he writes, And I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the hunger, prison, all of it, everything has helped to spread the good news. And it helped because he didn't keep it secret. He used the experiences to connect with other people. And I'm convinced that shame and pride are the two greatest barriers to sharing our pain. We've all made mistakes that we aren't proud of, so we keep them to ourselves because we don't want people to see that weak side of us. Shame and pride can't coexist with a life that is seriously trying to be like Jesus. Both come from the pit of hell. If you feel shame for your past, that never comes from God. He's over it. It's time for you to get over it. Take your cues from Paul. Paul's pain was the model for his message. That thing that you regret the most, that you hate the most about your past, or wish had never happened, those are the things that God will use the most in your life if you'll let him. They'll give you the best platform to share how Jesus helped you through the valley. But you've got to be vulnerable. That's what people are looking for. So use your pain to draw closer to God. Use your pain to draw close to others. Use your pain to become more like Jesus. Use your pain to help others. And use your pain to witness to the world. Do that and God will redeem it all for his glory and your good. Now, before we close out, I want to reframe how we look at loss and trials and hard times. Too often in the midst of our trials, we get stuck in the mud and we miss the bigger picture. And we struggle with the why. Why did God let him die? Why did God let me lose my job? Why did God let me go bankrupt? Why did God let my kid go off the rails? Why did God let me get abused? Why? 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 As Christ followers, we hold two tensions, two truths in tension. 
First, God has given me free will. I get to choose. I get to choose Christ. I get to choose whether I run to or run away from God. I get to choose to become everything that he has for me or not. I have free will. Many of our trials and losses are the result of less than wise choices on my part or on the part of others. There are certainly some things that are out of our control, like a global pandemic, for example, but lots of our loss comes at our own hand or the ripple effect of someone else's hand. At the same time, God is sovereign, and he has chosen me. For those of you who know the difference between Calvinist and Arminian theology, that makes me a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll. <laughs> That's the only way you'll ever hear me say a little bit of rock and roll. Uh, in, in his sovereignty, he has plans and purposes that are far beyond anything that I could ever understand that were prepared before the beginning of time. And no one is powerful enough to change that. He is always good. He is always love. He is always fighting on our behalf. Which means that God's sovereign plan for my life has already taken into account all of that stuff. All of my choices. All the choices of the people I love. All the things... I, I can't control all the things I think I control, all the sin, all the good, all the bad, all the ugly. He's taken all of that into account as he's crafted the best path for you to become the most like Jesus. It's really easy to see that when the path gives us something good. It's a little bit harder when that path includes suffering. When suffering comes or loss or hardship we look for we pray for an escape a way out we want to avoid suffering at all costs so we complain about the unfairness of it all we let our fears take over we have a bad attitude but if whatever that is that suffering is is his best plan to make you more like Jesus, taking into account all of the factors that we couldn't begin to comprehend. Instead of asking why, we learn to ask what. What now? What do you have for me in this moment? How do I become more like Jesus here? If we could learn to respond that way, Maybe, just maybe, our valleys wouldn't be quite as dark or long or hard or scary because we wouldn't be fighting him tooth and nail every step of the way. Instead, we'd be having our eyes open, looking for treasure in the darkness. If you want to be a spiritual adult, I think this is the path. So let me leave you with this question. Are you more committed to becoming like Jesus than you are to a pain-free life? Father, change the way we think about the path 
that we walk. May we see every moment as a gift from you, whether it's good or bad or neutral. Every moment, may we see it as a gift from you, an opportunity to become more like Jesus, which is our highest goal. May we trust you in a way like we've never trusted you before when the road gets hard and the valley gets deep and long and dark. May we trust you like never before, knowing that this valley was specially chosen for this moment in my life. And as we cooperate with you, Father, may we see the joy as you redeem the junk, as you use that stuff in our life to give you glory and grow us even more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us in worship today. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Thank you for your financial support of our ministries. God does great things in people's lives because of your faithfulness. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, like, and share this service wherever you watch it. The message of Jesus is too good to keep to ourselves. He is the best answer to all of life's challenges. We'll see you next week. Go in the grace of God.